Right. So this is wholly unscripted and barely edited and saved for the time, and might contain spoilers. But if you've ever been curious as to what goes on with the writer when he sits down with some friends at a coffee table, a couch, or somewhere outside, here's your chance to find out. This is Yumi Tigers. So, one of the things I used to do in grad school is sit down with my friends at the bar or after class when we were all exhausted and we'd all talk about what we were writing in our work, fiction, nonfiction, and we'd bullshit, we'd ask questions and try to make sense of stuff we were struggling with. The first session we did it was Dave, Pablo, and myself, and we talked about origin myths and kind of went to town on that. Right, 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 okay. And I think... What part of that conversation, which ended up not being shared at the time, but was kind of preface material, we talked about, well, what a world map would look like given some of those origin possibilities. And I had pointed out that it is Earth. The thing is, it's way the hell late, you know, down the road after shit has happened. And I was never happy using a world map as is, you know, here's Europe, here's Asia, here's Australia, because none of that felt sufficient. Also, because the story has evolved in multiple ways, there were other versions of the map where maybe it wasn't a world map per se, but perhaps the ocean is in fact not a physical body of water, it's space or something else. So are they planets? Are they things floating? Is this entirely artificial? And I figured, we've done the mapping exercise a few times with circles and other stuff. It would be fun to take one or a few of the different premises and just try applying one of those, okay, this is how the world is, truths, whether it's islands in space, artificial colonies, or super-flooded continents, whatever that was, and go to town, I'll feed story ideas, you guys can riff. None of it's true or not, it's just, hey, let's interpret this and see what comes out of that. Let's play around with it. So, uh, um, a while back, um, and you actually know part of the result of this, I uh, wanted a continental mass that looked like it could be a real continental mass, but I didn't want to draw one myself. This is before I figured out the, the circle mapping method, uh, which is not mine, but I, I cannot remember where I ran across it, so I can't actually say and, and give credit. Um, but it is something I picked up over the years. But before that, I um, wanted something that looked realistic. So what I did is I took... Um, the area around uh, around the Philippines, Indonesia, Micronesia, all of that, and I tried to get a map of what it was like in the Ice Age when the sea levels had significantly dropped and it would be closer to an actual continental mass rather than a, a chain of chains of islands. And uh, I set a world there, I, um, and uh, we actually played in that world for a while, uh, the Dungeon World game the, with the world dragons. Oh, right. That was where you learned to not give us nice things. <laughs> to be fair, the Teleran game is what taught me not to give you nice things. I just needed a reminder every once in a while. Hey, you didn't know that we were going to be monsters. You just hoped we would. <laughs> and to be fair, I think Steven actually one-upped you overall. On the Dungeon World one, yes. Yeah. He won. Pablo was a close second. It didn't hurt that mostly Greg and I were trying to make things work. Make things work and stick it to, uh, what's his name, Arcadius. Arcadius. 
Oh, his end was wonderful. We need to sit everyone down one day and just have a recalling of the many tragedies that befell Arcadius. I know, right? Arcadius is one of those guys I set him up to be a villain, and he and, and, and the players were so, uh, so terrible to him that he became anything but the villain. No, I think by the end, he dies the hero. No, he, he dies in ignominy. But oh, that's right, yes. He, we decided that his end ultimately was that he would... Be given one last treasure, one last magical item of incredible rarity, a bowl of infinite gruel, mm-hmm. when he's a poor homeless sod in the streets of some major city. And eventually he would be murdered in a street fight for that. Mm-hmm. His one last magical... He started out, he was trying to use people's suffering to enrich himself, coming along as a snake oil salesman, promising he could solve the problem, but really he was just getting rich. He paid an incredibly heavy price for that. So he didn't give it up immediately. He tried one more time, but this time he was a lot more cautious. And when a group of heroes rose up to stop him, they, he, he was like, no, I'm out. I'm leaving right now. This isn't worth it. And they still managed to do terrible things to him. Not intentionally either, just by our natures. Just by their natures. It, it goes downhill from there. Yeah, I think one day we will have everyone on just to recall the many tragedies that befell the poor Arcadius. In fact, we can just encapsulate the whole world history in that. Mm-hmm. Right. I, the wizard I played at the end was ultimately his apprentice. Yes, and the one who prophesied his downfall. Yes. And he actually tried to get rid of all of his worldly possessions such that, that his downfall would not come. <laughs> It was a... So the one thing he had left brought his downfall. Yes. That's, if I'm not mistaken, a variant of the Infinite Bowl of Gruel or something like it was a magic item in 1st and 2nd edition. Almost certainly. Which just says so much about the way Gygax thought. Yeah. You, sir, you shall never starve. It's Gruel, though. No. Your constitution will always be zero now. No. So, I think... If I'm not mistaken, last time we began midway through and eventually got around to why you people would be on this conversation to begin with. Dave's been on before. He can introduce himself however he wants. Hello, I am Dave Herman, a.k.a. Reminiscence of the Brothers Herman. Um, and long-time role player, so a lot of these tricks that I've picked up over the years have to do with building games for role-playing. And creating worlds, stories that come from that is kind of part and parcel of all of Exactly. And then I've also got various... I never actually um, sat down and wrote anything down, but I took notes for various worlds that could have turned into uh, you know, novels, but more likely would turn into game settings. Um, and so done mapping, done really strange world building. Um, I think the Edgelord takes the cake. <laughs> I think the Tower of Babel takes the cake, but that's another oh, story. Oh, that's true. That is true. Stephen, what's your excuse? What's my excuse for what? Being here? For yourself. We <laughs> tied him up and threw him in the back of a car. That's why he's here. Again? I think we've all been there. At least the, at least the three of us have been. <laughs> yes. The three of us have. I think... What, what are you getting your doctorate in? Philosophy. I don't know. What's the jury on that? Poorest of the life choices. <laughs> Earlier today. Yeah. Earlier today, the, the, Stephen and I had a discussion about the statement. Uh, the, the, the statement, uh, um, if all you had was a hammer. It started out with a, co- a comment, if all you had was a hammer, 
everything would look like a hammer because that's all you would have. <laughs> and no. It evolved from there into conversations about whether or not you were a hammer. Yes. And then whether, whether or not you could see your face with a hammer. <laughs> it was really you weird. Face to be a hammer, you have to be able to. You have to see your. In order for your face not to be a hammer, you not have to be. You have to not be able to see your face in order for you not to have it. You keep in mind, none of this has to do with what he's studying in, in grad school or teaching in grad school. It's just kind of the way we talk to each other. If I'm not mistaken, your dissertation is on whether chairs are provable, right? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. Could you express your profound disappointment a little louder for the mic? But if it's not real, that won't matter. Well, that's the, that's the thesis testing. <laughs> that, that is actually what they do at the end. They will all throw chairs at him, and if Dis- none of them hit him. Destruction testing your thesis. <laughs> yes. I mean, they're worth ideas. Destruction testing your thesis panel? Hmm. I, I guess that would be one way to demonstrate your antimatter, right? None of this matters. <laughs> oh. Nice one. <laughs> I did not plan that. <laughs> I, I think in the in the same vein, it was the, oh, when when Zephan had the uh, for the the high school version of the Academy World game, the announcement there there'd be how was it? This is so long ago. Yes, there'd be a student assembly in the main hall, <laughs> which for that character could go many different ways. Though we didn't realize it at first. <laughs> no, it was more of a. Oh, yes. <coughs> That's, uh... There'll be a student assembly in the main hall in five minutes. Raylos, your attendance is mandatory. You are, after I, all, the glue that binds everything together. <laughs> yes. I, I'm sorry, was this, was this game based on... Did you, did you design this right around when the Attack on Titan High School and a version anime came out? I wish I could screen capture what your image looks like right now. Oh, yeah, that's our image. Okay. What even is going on there? I don't know. Can we get a... Can we get a... There we go. Okay, every once in a while I'm just going to have to reset it uh, if you want to get a look at it. Um, Why is this not... The book moved. I think what we have to make sure is each time we do that we change the mapping image to something obscene. I agree. (laughs) So, back when I was in grad school I was playing a bunch of Final Fantasy XI so some of it was the subject matter for a bunch of comics I was drawing and I wish I could find the scripts for these I remember any of grad school at that point what? I said I'm surprised you remember any of grad school (laughs) so so, um, I remember so so one of my friends had gotten me to write a bunch of comics for his comic um, and for a joint one we were doing none of this went anywhere but uh, I remember one of the, the, the jokes that, that uh, um, was a couple of adventurers. I'm just going to translate this out of Final Fantasy terms and into... So it would be like a couple of elves wandering through a, an orcish stronghold and finding uh, a closet full of like jars, one of which was labeled elf paste. <laughs> oh! And they're like, oh my god! And all of them are like labeled stuff like that. And the punchline, and it was actually well-timed, and I cannot figure out how I did it anymore... Um, was that, that they were captured and the next thing you see is the two of them plastered to a wall 
with elf paste. (laughs) (laughs) They may assume, but that's not what it was. Boo. (laughs) Boo. They were very upset about it as well. Oh, as you should be. Yeah, it was... um, I've got some good comics stashed away somewhere. We should do intermissions with them. <laughs> I might sometime, someday act them out with puppets. That would be disturbing and appropriate. In fact, when you guys do any live streaming, you should have your intermissions. You roboted. I heard you context, context, out of context. You lost your feet or your teeth. I think we need to, like, reset this. Somehow. I think we may. All right, I'm just... All right, I moved. Wi-Fi's dumb. Oh, okay, it was your Wi-Fi, not mine. Good. As long as it's not my fault, I don't care. <laughs> well, if it's not my fault, I mean, it could be the end of the world. But as long as it's not my fault, it's okay. I'm... I told one of my friends once, well, isn't all of world philosophy really just comparative? I don't have to be sanctimonious to the parrot. I just have to be sanctimonious to you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh. Oh, yeah, we should probably start on the map. So what were the um, potential catastrophes we had? I think the one we settled on, not that we have to go with it per se, but it's probably a good foundation to work from. Yeah, might as well continue where we left off. Sure. Makes the podcast work together better. Consistency in a podcast about storytelling? (laughs) I was at a panel um, with uh, a bunch of uh, um, urban fantasy. Um, That's the stuff like uh, um, the Dresden Files, and specifically Jim Butcher was there. And the, the bunch of the people he was on panel with were, they were like giving one after the other a bunch of advice about, uh, you know, maintaining consistency. Sure. Because your audience is paying attention. And if you lay down something as a rule and then you break that rule, they're going to notice and be angry at you for it. And there's a point where he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> because he is so guilty of that. Oh, for, for those who are not watching along at home, which is all of you because podcasting is an audio medium, he basically did this huge, like, hung his head in shame moment where, you know, a, li- you know, a little over-exaggerated, but still. There is a reason editors exist. Or, no, to paraphrase something that my English teacher in 12th grade, Mrs. Farron, related to us one day from a PTA meeting she had just attended... There was a conversation about whether or not to teach grammar in the lower grades. And when they said they shouldn't bother with a consultant or hire specialist teachers to inculcate the future generations with proper understanding of grammar and usage, Mrs. Farron asked, where, pray tell, will they learn it from then? To which one thoughtful parent replied, but that's what the editors are for. And where are the editors going to come from? That was Mrs. Farron's reply, of course. <laughs> as she exasperatedly walked down the theater stairs into the... There's a... There, well, I mean, it's basically the same uh, uh, principle. There's a... It goes around the internet every couple of months of this math problem that people will endlessly argue over the answer. And it's precisely because 
uh, it's an order of operations um, problem, but the way they used to do order of operations back in like the 60s and 70s is slightly different from the way we do it now. And so, um, and so based on which way you were raised to do it, the answer is different. If you don't have that, it like, which basically goes to show you, you know, you talk about math being universal, but it's based on a common understanding of how you write it down. And if you don't have that, it's, you're not going to get the right answer. And you have to teach it somewhere. Math is a language. Who would have known? <laughs> right. So origin stories. I believe the one we settled upon for playing with the majority of the episode was the idea of, as my memory fails me, one, two, three, let's go over there, yes. I believe the one we went with was the idea of, at some point in the distant past, a comet or similar substance, no, it was that they had captured something, whether it be the actual sun or made an artificial one, and trapped it in the sky, blotted out everything else, and somehow either in doing that or what had led to the need for that, the Western Hemisphere had been scorched away. I would imagine this leads to, among other things, the ice caps melting, the oceans rising, mm. and the coastlines changing drastically. It's It gets weird because climate gets weird. You might initially have everything melt, and then if the life in general isn't producing enough of the, the greenhouse gases, it's going to actually refreeze worse. Mm. Um, so... You know, or if it kicked up a ton of water vapor into the air, uh, you could get a runaway effect because water vapor is the strongest greenhouse gas. Um, but the moment that rained out, uh, not that it would be a moment, it, you know, it was basically a new equilibrium would be found. But which way it goes could, is dependent on a lot of factors, not all of which we're going to know about this world. It would certainly create a lot of new bodies of water in places there hadn't been. It would definitely do that. Um, so hold on. So you said capture an artificial sun or create and it one. score or create one. It, did we say it fell? I forget. I think the the various myths were in some of the myths. Definitely, there was a sense of either the sun or something, an aspect or an advent of it descended, and that is itself what scorched the western hemisphere, thus necessitating the need for something to be put back up the sky and settled. That or in an effort to make things stabilized. They cut themselves off from whatever is happening further around. So, yeah, I suppose we could do a Dyson Sphere as one interpretation of it. We could do a Dyson Sphere. You could do... I mean, if you're talking about creating an artificial sun, Dyson Sphere is one way of... of uh, well, it wouldn't be a Dyson Sphere if you're cutting yourself off from the sun. True. You, you know, the, it would be a Dyson... It would be more like a global, you know, shield. Uh, it could be that the artificial sun was a giant mirror array that first was pinpointed on various areas and carved long mm. burns into the Western Hemisphere and then crashed, leaving small craters of debris all over the Making the that place. side largely uninhabitable. Yeah, and possibly chaining into the other side, True. but only in small regions of inhospitability. I believe we reasoned that enough people, not a lot per se, but enough would have been able to perform an exodus to the other side, which would, of course, result in conflicts and mm. dwindling resources. How much time I think we presumed it passed was fluid, depending on which way we were going with it. But for the purposes of mapping, I think we can go with that as one possibility. We can go with one of the other kind of open origin ends, which is that, yes, there's an ocean that's called the Long Night Sea, but again, is it in fact a body of water, or is it a sea 
of night? Is it mm. something traversed by boats that are not boats as we would think of them now, being wood and other constructions, but a generic term for things that float and tra transport or travel across great distances? I think that was where we led to the idea of are these parts or the remnants? Of, I think you, Dave, you had thrown out the idea of maybe remnants of an arc ship or mm -hmm. that were chained or connected together. So, yes, there was a body of space, substance, connecting all of them. I think for the purposes of mapping, we only need to pick one premise and right. then go with there. I, I think the basic di difference between these two premises is that the first one, and we can, to give ourselves the most mapping opportunity, we can say that uh, the first one, it was disastrous and, and uh, enough to shake the world. So it could alter the Eastern Hemisphere, Eurasia, Africa. Sure. It's up, you, you can decide whether Australia is included or not. I mean, it's kind of down and out of the way, so it probably should be fine. But um, and but it, it would be enough to reshape them, but they'd still be recognizable to some extent. To some extent, right? Like like you basically drawn it on a thing of silly puppy, putty, silly puppy, silly putty, and stretched it out. What have you been using for canvas? <laughs> I shaved a dog. <laughs> Okay, is this your is this your attempt at a new form of pointillism? <laughs> don't have a Are these pointer. three dimensional? No, no. Are you stacking each hair up vertically <laughs> at different heights to create different textures and layers? You know, oddly, I can see this happening. <laughs> this is what happens when you leave your brother alone. It's a it's a study in dog hair and epoxy. That sounds like something I'd find in the museum today. <laughs> it really does. Like, so, it reminds me of a modern art museum that I saw recently in a, in a, the Nelson Hackett Museum. Okay. It was, it was a, um, it was a, uh, modern art piece. It was a three-dimensional modern art piece called, like, Tom Sawyer or something like that. And you walked in, and it was, like, this white room, and there were stars, like, like uh, projected onto the wall. And there was, like, a lantern and a paddle. And then, like, all that happened is that you had, like, space music playing in the background. And there was, there was one of those little, like, um, uh, turning lights, like, uh, like, uh, police cars have, or, like, one of the emergency vehicles have, those, like, yellow turning lights. And, uh, and all that happened was they played a sound, which was, like, space sound for a while. And then eventually, like, crescendo just, like, a big crash. And then it went back down again. And it was supposed to represent, like, it was supposed to represent, like, um, bands in humanity to man or something. I don't know. It's all modern. <laughs> I, I, I believe that, that that's the, the when, when, uh, mo no one, when no one knows what a piece of modern art is supposed to represent, that is the answer they almost always give. My brother... Actually, briefly enough, I saw that piece of art, and I, and I looked at the person I went with, and I said, I would bet you that this represents bad humanity to man. Like, I just like said it sarcastically. And we picked up a brochure. Because of course, art has to be explained to you in like 10 paragraphs, three pages long. You don't have an explanation. I mean, you're just not going to get it. Duh. And so we have this long explanation. And at one point, it's like, it represents bad humanity to man or something like, or, or, or something like, oh, I guess. <laughs> I am pretty sure Monty Python used the man's inhumanity to man as an explanation for art at least twice in their series. I hope they used it the last time to refer to their series. <laughs> I don't think they did, but I can check. <laughs> you know, that would be the worst thing, to, not the worst, but the best troll you could do to people sharing their art online. 
Just anything, any fan art, anything posted on it's, Twitter. It's Thomas Kincaid. Yes. I think this represents Nancy humanity to man <laughs> via flower arranging. <laughs> <laughs> and just have everyone cycle on it. So that when finally there is the when they dig up the remnants and there's only the way behind was it the way behind machine the way back machine mm-hmm. when there's only the way back machine and that is the only remnant of the internet left I that would be the only art critique remaining I want seriously that would be such a great thesis for like uh, like uh, um, not archaeology uh, anthropology yes uh, an anthropology thesis. Combing through the Wayback Machine remnants from the 90s and trying to piece together a picture of 90s American culture using only snippets from the Wayback Machine. Oh. Which would that end poorly? <laughs> well, it can't end any worse than Microsoft's attempted AI via Twitter. Hmm. That took her. Ah. What, that, that took what, about seven or eight hours total? To reach maximum. To reach critical mass. Oh God! You, this is this is the Twitter bot, not the not the inspirational poster maker, right? Yeah. Okay. The maker is his own magical creature. Oh, it's it's wonderful. I still got some saved. I wish they would use that for all movies. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Just. So I think since Dave and I were there previously, we will leave the choice to you, Stephen, as to which we go with. This is the. <laughs> They're both post-apocalyptic worlds. This is the. The artificial sun. Okay. Okay. So you so you want the one with the the western hemisphere destroyed and the eastern hemisphere altered? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. I want the one with the pretty flowers. With the pretty flowers <laughs> that represent man's That's humanity the... to man. <laughs> to be fair, there is a strong flower motif throughout the entirety of the story. This is probably in part because I grew up with a gardener in the family and learned more about elephants and flowers than I ever expected. And weirdly enough, found them creeping up in strange ways that were symbolically appropriate without planning any of it. Elephants and flowers. Elephants, not yet. Cicadas, mostly. Oh, yes, that's right. At some point, Stephen, you should listen to the previous episode because we go on a rather long riff about keratin. (laughs) Oh, yes, we do. Oddly enough, no. Oh, interesting. I mean, I was I was indifferent to it. It wasn't my favorite Dr. Seuss one. The lowest probably goes to the Cat in the Hat. That's just weird and creepy. I always like the second Cat in the Hat. I like the Sneeches. Sneeches were good. I, was, I liked that the uh, the Butter Bread Wars. Butter Bug. Better Bread. I can never remember the name of it properly, but you know the one I'm talking mm-hmm. about. There were a few of them, and there were the animated versions. There were, I think there was a sequence of them. The Sneetches was the second or third. The Lorax was in there. Yes, the Lorax was done. No, I'm not, I'm not going down with what they've done to Seuss recently. Oh, oh, please, like, we stay on topic well enough as it is. No, it's, it's more along the lines of I don't want to think about what they did to it. <laughs> okay, fine. That is fair enough. <laughs> Let me just ask you quickly, is it because of the cut song about deforestation at the end. <laughs> it, I, I honestly <laughs> tried to, like, by the time the Lorax rolled around, I tried as hard as possible to learn nothing about it. 
So, going off of the premise of a world that is attempted to either bind an artificial sun or else hold at bay one that is trying to fall or land upon the world, I think what we settled there is that in the world there are those who are full of flame and those who dream too much. Of the two, I think Pablo is leaning toward the latter occurring for... Oh, I think in Pablo's estimation, those who are full of fire existed prior to this moment, but changed in ways once the technology or other means by which they became full of fire ceased to function. So their sense of their their likeliness or the possibility that they would, in a literal or figurative sense, burn out spectacularly, as opposed to perhaps flickering out like a candle as they had been intended to, is a consequence of supports in the way things had been dissipating. I think we ruled out nanotech, but left it open as to other things. Right. I think we only ruled out nanotech because it's overused. That was true. I believe that was our argument there, and boring. Mm-hmm. As it's basically nuclear energy or chemicals or the superhero powers of the past, mm-hmm. and more or less boils down to magic when it comes to what it could or couldn't yeah. do. You want to see nanotech in action? You like you know without any bother explaining anything. Prometheus. What do you think the black goo is? We don't know what it is, but it's a it's as much a stand in for nanotech as anything could be. I thought it was plot armor, and that's the problem with <laughs> nanotech. Yeah. So hell, even in a book that, that I read, I can't remember the name of it, but it's one I read a couple uh, only a couple of years ago, and it, it started out by showing the limitations of nanotech, and then it proceeded to break all of them to do whatever they felt like. It does seem like a like a, like a sort of like instrument for an artist uh, for, for an author to do like whatever they want to do. Like, hey, it's nanotech. We don't have to bother giving an explanation. I think we also, toward the end of that, ruled out thermonuclear powered otter cats. We did indeed. That's what I'm a little bit more upset with. <laughs> did I'm, we rule them out, or did we just throw them out there as an idea we weren't going to follow too much? Well, it wouldn't have been our idea to begin with. This was something I read and delighted uh, in sharing with you because it was a moment that pulled me out of the narrative right. of the book I was reading. But I don't think I'll tell Stephen any more about that. I want him yeah, to discover he, that himself. He really does have to, yeah. Yeah. So... This is an interesting one because the circle method is usually one premised off of not having any preset understanding of what the world looks like. That is true. If we're going with the idea of a post-apocalyptic Earth where a sun or artificial thing or something is scoured one half of the hemisphere away and the consequences of that have geologically and also in the terms of culture and history and human evolution rippled out through the other side, I suppose there are certain presumptions we have to have about what what remained in the immediacy and then what... Ah, but I think it's even better than that. Okay. Because how well do you think people of this world are, are at, at mapping things? Well, I guess that's the question then. Whose map are we drawing? Is it one that is accurate or is it one that is representative of what people understand? Representative of what people understand for a number of reasons. One, that's more in the world. It'll give you more hints as to what people will try to do or not do. Sure. Um, because if, you know, if someone thinks that, like, to use a very blunt example, if there was a part of the map labeled, you know, uh, Terra Incognita or Here There Be Dragons or something, people might steer clear of it where they wouldn't, uh, like, and, and you'll know that, and it'll inform how the story goes. Whereas if you just have this map that shows you what the world looks like, you know, okay, great, you can make some decisions off of that. But, but in a sense, there's no truth to it. Mm-hmm. And, to, yeah. and to that extent, I think the circle method will still work. 
But what you're going to do is you're going to, instead of drawing them in a random pattern, you're going to use the circle method to, without bothering to look at a map, fill in from memory what you think the Eastern Hemisphere, what the Africa, Eurasia, sure. uh, the, and all that look like. And then... You know, and and you feel free to get it wrong in in weird way, in ways because you already know it's going to be wrong in that so, sense. So if you think there's a feature you'd really like to see, you can you can put some circles in to add that too. Um, but you don't have to, you know. But otherwise, the trying to do the map from memory should do a pretty good job of distorting the world already. So let's see. In that case, you want me to do the initial circles and the two of you will take, will take turns from there. I think so, yeah. Fair enough. Stephen, does that sound good to you? Sounds good to me. Okay. Well, your opinion's the only one that matters because you're the solipsist. <laughs> Wait a second. There's something very odd about you saying that. <laughs> As Stephen and I are fond of joking, um, there's... A- the thing is... He may be the one that created me, but he couldn't tell he existed without someone else to remind him. Well, he has read Descartes. <laughs> Does he approve and believe of Descartes? <laughs> That's the more important thing. Well, I don't know. I mean, Descartes would just... The sad thing is not that I've read Descartes, it's how many times I've read Descartes. Okay, that's depressing. I think we're on time number four or five pretty soon. That's about as many times as I've had to read The Glass Menagerie. You know how you can read Descartes' meditations before you go insane? I'm guessing, too, since we've known you for a long time. Yeah, and to be fair, Descartes, I mean, this is either this saying one of two things about Descartes. Either he was, you know, pretty messed up in the head, or he never read his own stuff. I'm betting on the latter. Have you tried cleansing your palate with a bit of Immanuel Kant? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Did we just fill Stephen full of glurg? If we can induce catatonia, then either you're a masochist or you're not a solipsist. Or he just had one of those moments where his, you know, where his brain put forth something like really, you know, embarrassing. He's like, no, no, I don't want to remember that. That's not real. It's not real. So I think you should draw your map. Very well. And let's see if I can find proper scaling on this to give us enough room. That is the real trick. And I think I can still draw when I zoom out. Let's see. Do, 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 do. We'll cut out the dumb parts of this. That works. Right. So first we need a happy little Europe. <laughs> happy little Europe. Bob's lost a fantasy. Lovely... I would have loved that. A lovely Bob Ross, you know, the reference that also manages to completely and utterly miss the history of Europe. <laughs> I, Bob Ross doing cartography would have been magnificent. Um, there. Let's go Is with. Spain and Portugal? What was that? Is that Spain and Portugal right there? I'm trying to get well, that shape going. I guess this is a question. Are we doing regions or are we doing the. Do it however you want to do it. I, I had Leave it to us to actually try to figure out what okay. to make of it before. But that, that's part of the challenge. I had no plan going in when I put the pen to the, pen, the yeah. tablet here. So. Actually, honestly speaking, like now that I look at that top right like island a little bit more, is that like, kind of like a bald eagle without an eye? <laughs> that's sad. Aww. 
I find it fascinating that you Rorschach did into that in the first place. And that's probably oh, what's sad. My mind works in mysterious ways. Not always good ways, but mysterious You, ways. sir, are not the Lord. You are merely... You, you are merely his scullion. <laughs> Possibly also his scallion. <laughs> oh, you are his scallion scullion. This has all been an episode of VeggieTales. Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. Oh, we made Stephen quiet again. I showed you the VeggieTales 9-11 tribute, right? <laughs> yes, you did. Oh, God. What? what? I showed you that, didn't I, Stephen? No. I must have. Look it up. No. Look it up. No. <laughs> I swear to you, they didn't do anything, you know, they, they, they weren't, you know, being disrespectful or anything like that, or at least they weren't intending to be. This is not to scale by any means. I'm simply just putting pen to tablet here. And let's do... You know, there was a game my family played, and we occasionally still do when we go out to dinner sometimes, called Squiggle. And what one of us would do is take a tablecloth, hopefully paper, but if not, then oh well, and draw a line and then pass the influence over to someone else and see what came of it. It was always strange, and by the time the waitstaff came, they were usually disturbed. <laughs> so I think I will leave it at that for now, although I'm kind of seeing I now a, see what you're going for. Something like that. Again, I'm not sure the scales are where they should be, the spaces between are appropriate. It is simply... Blurbed. No, I actually think it's, it's very good. What? No, I think this is not... This, he steered us wrong by saying he was starting with Europe. Are you saying I lied to you? No, it's it's just... You did start with Europe. It's it's This is the entire map. I believe this right here is Africa. Okay. I think that's, that, that's what I'm reading out of it. That makes this whole thing Eurasia, that the remnants of um, um, Australia. Uh, presumably, this is the Indian subcontinent, and this is yeah. the European subcontinent, as I've taken to calling it, because, you know, it irritates Europeans to say that. It's technically true. It is. It's like, if, if India is a subcontinent, so is Europe. I'm sorry. But now you're just being a pedant. <laughs> Hey, they're both separated from the, the rest of Asia by mountain ranges. True. More importantly, by their taste in chocolate. No. Countries, European countries are separated from each other by their taste in chocolate. That is also, you know, that is what the Euro should, the, uh... If you've ever heard uh, the, the Brits discussing American chocolate... Yes. And it's like, but if you've ever tasted British chocolate, it's terrible. We had a family friend who worked at Cadbury. I and have... I have an absolutely horrible thing that uh, I, I have to say about Cadbury chocolate. I love Cadbury eggs. Oh, but go pure ahead. Cadbury chocolate tastes like baby shit smells. <laughs> <laughs> Liquid K.O. pectate. <laughs> Basically, yes. There you go. So, uh, <laughs> aim it away from the screen. <laughs> Incidentally, Stephen, we have a care package to send you. <laughs> 
we, we sent it prior to the recording. So I apologize. So I want to actually take these in, these, looking at these now, I want to take these in as, as our various blocks. We're not going to do the whole, you know... Uh, I mean, we can make layers and additional versions, too. Yeah, let's, let's, let's make a, a layer on top of this, and this will be the base layer. Do, 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 da, da. And we will... Um, Choose a different color, maybe? Yes. Mm, pick your poison. Mm. Or let's go to... Okay. So how do we want to do this one, Stephen? Do we want to start trying to figure out what the um, what why these things are divided from each other? Yeah, that'd be a good idea. All right. So let's start with the most likely things that are mountain ranges. Uh, and if we're going to do that, I would say a red brown is a good one to do. Now, are these happy mountains or are they somnolent? <laughs> Or are they somnolent? Okay. <laughs> or are they somnambulating? Oh. And there should actually be a chain of uh, mountains called like the sleeping or, or uh, uh, the sleeping mountains. That could work. So I would say um, you your most likely thing, if this is the Indian subcontinent right here, um, or what's left of it. That means the Himalayas, if, if this is still a block, the Himalayas probably aren't running seriously through it. So what's left, one of the biggest mountain ranges, especially if all of this was scrunched up, should be around this area right here. Uh, it should just be all the way through here. Yeah, it's not my best mountain range ever, but... Uh, Mountain ranges, pimples, you know, they're roughly the same thing in terms of map making. I, uh, there we go. So I'm thinking, and I think there should be one very large one right, a pair of very large ones right there. They're special. And we can add a little bit of shading. Did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. Just to give it a bit of depth. What do you think, Stephen? I mean, it looks good. Uh, let me think. Let me see here. It just. Mm, it, so are are the are the the the, um, the lines drawn? Are they supposed to be like territorial markers? Well, that's what I'm interpreting them as. It doesn't have to be. If you can think of another reason that it would be. Uh, that, that's a, it's a good reason to have a territorial marker. I was just thinking that like. Uh, if that's the case, there need to be like reasons why that north part of the zone that's uncovered with mountains is territorial. That's true. And the other thing is, this this could be considered not so much territorial markers as cultural markers. Like, if there aren't a lot of strong nations, then people might divide themselves by where in the world they come from and yeah. where they share. And uh, so you're right. The, and these lines are pretty thick up here. So there's a really good chance something's in the way up here. So I think I'm a, like I'm a, I'm a huge like I'm kind of a huge fan of there being like a pretty large desert to that mountain range. Uh, I did not mean to do that. So hit the undone. There we go. Oops. All right. So can I um, move that to the side? The yeah. If you want to get rid of those things over there and just have the screen, you go like that. Okay. Cool. So you want a desert up in this area right here where these four... Uh, what? Another 
from east would be to the right of the house. Okay, so this, the, where the pencil's pointing is north. Yes. Okay, so you're talking about in this re... Damn it. That's west. You're right, that is west. Oh, okay, so you're talking... over here. That would make a lot of... That would make quite a bit of... Well, actually, yeah, because if the wind patterns changed, your rain shadows would be over here. So let's just go ahead and uh, color. Do you want me to go into some of the potential cultures at some point, or do you want to leave that open for the moment? I say we leave it open for the moment, and sure. then we look for where things might. I think one of the things we'll talk well, about. Give us, give us two cultures you'd like to see worked into the map. Well, I think, okay, presuming the, if we go with the premise of a mass exodus of peoples from the Western Hemisphere, the two places where they're going to land initially and then migrate from are, of course, the places closest to that, the far west and the far east over here. So you'll have this section over here, whoops, right over here, you'd have landfall and say over here, you know, let me move the color wheel, over here and here, and then over on this side, you'd have populations moving inward from. This would explain probably why something like here is fairly isolated if there's, you know, mountainous. Mm -hmm. As to why this is presumably what may have been Gobi or something else that's grown massively, there had... Okay. Do we want to go with the post-imperial post map after things have fallen into ruin and large... I, I would say so. I would also say, if we want to put in a desert, just really quickly, uh, this is, um, it, generally your prevailing winds go like this yeah. way. So if you're going to have a desert, you're going to actually want like a fertile area right here and then the desert to be, you know, in this area. Okay. So... That's, and we should probably, if the desert's largely impassable, we can run it along a lot of this area right here, which would explain quite a bit of... Yeah, I'm a huge fan of, like, directly east, like, where you planted that fertile area. Directly east of the mountain range, you have, like, a civilization cropping up there, which is between that and the desert. Right around here -ish. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, then my thought is, and I'm going to be... Like you live in the shadow of the mountains or something like that, I don't know. We the need of the valley of the mountain. Well, that seems like a good one for it, and uh, I would say that you're most likely to have it. Let's have it run alongside the, the the desert through that area, and then stretch out. So, there had been in what we were calling the Imperium or the Balin Imperium a fairly long stretch ago, and that had built itself upon some of the remnants of technologies and knowledges that were lost and regained or re understood again. It progressed for a good long time, but eventually the collapse, I think as we surmised it, was centered upon an arc they tried building to get away and up and out of this to somewhere else. And in the revolution that surrounded that effort, the whole entire system collapsed. People spread out again, and Stephen turned back into static lines. Yeah, you're going to definitely want to, yeah, that's, because you won't be able to see what we just did. So here's what I, I did. So to, to, to deal, deal with the desert, so if you want the fertile area, you need some water in there. And that leads, you've got mountain ranges, so you're probably going to have rivers coming down. We already needed a good blocking point for right there. Let's make that a very big river. Um, and... Um, and uh, so we'll have. Let's. Can I? Can I do previous? Go back to previous colors. Yes. If I think if they're saved. Oh, I yes. didn't save them. Well, then I'll just go with uh, back to that really dusty. 
Uh, well, well, I'll just I'll pick it out myself. Yeah. To save him, you have to hit the little plus sign. That's quite all right, picker. picker. I do not need to worry about that too much. Let's yeah. go for... As long as we're in approximation. That's it. So, yeah, that one's running through the desert for a little bit. And then we should probably just to explain that desert, because once you start doing stuff, you kind of have to continue. It, this would be another good place for a mountain chain. Yeah. Because that explains the desert with a nice rain shadow. Then, of course, you can have, like, little, like, pockets or cities or stuff right along, probably along that river, right? Because the idea is going to be, like, that would be, like, the one fertile area. You know, people would probably try to count time to get around there if they were going to live Indeed. It would make sense, considering the population that remained after the fall of the Empire was largely, I wouldn't call them Luddites per se, but their point of view is that everything that led to the Empire as it is, has not benefited them, so they have gone, I think we said, more pastoral, more farm-based, mm-hmm. and what's left and reliable and just sat in that, or resided in it for, I don't know, I, think, I don't think we set a timeline I don't think we did either. I also think there's one... I mean, did the polarized caps melt or did they grow? Well, it goes back to your question of what thawed and then what froze. Right. I'm leaving this one up to Stephen because we can retroactively explain it either way. I agree. Stephen, your call. As Um, the god of this world. I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not asking you to weigh in on like an actual issue like global warming. I'm asking <laughs> if 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 the Western Hemisphere were annihilated in a ball of fire uh, that we don't quite know how it works, it could either overall cause warming or could cause an initial burst of war- warming followed by years of like nasty ice age um, freezing. And I'm asking which one you think is better for, is a better for the story of this world. Overall warming is better. Okay. So evaporation, heavy amount of water vapor, traps. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking for ice blue. I cannot find it on this picker. You can also slide from darker to lighter. Ah, that would do it. Nope. Yep. 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 That'll do a little bit more that direction. Oh, that was perfect. So I'm thinking. Um, you just tap. There you go. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was. Can I get bigger? Yes. Bigger. Ah, bigger. 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 That's bigger. right. So I figure we'll just. Um, it won't be as pronounced as it would be in um, in a. In our world, like like seriously, but but these are the uninhabitable areas on the far north, and you could also have this line probably being the area where farming cuts off, and therefore this is not so much a boundary as it is the edge perm- of what's we're inhabitable. Permafrost, right? Yeah. So north of here, you don't get farming, and yeah. it's more nomadic, okay. and so and so that's just a temperature line. That makes sense. Um, that would also adhere to where, of the other major powers that were, that probably no longer are to the same extent, there was a northern kingdom, mm-hmm. and then, say, centralized on France, Spain, Germany, a larger place as well, a larger region as well. There, 
the kingdom could certainly be largely frozen over. It would have perhaps been during one of the periods of thaw, a fertile land. Mm-hmm. But now that it's re- now that it's returned back to permafrost and nor- glaciers toward the top of that, that would reduce it to scattered tribes or groups of people. Makes sense to me. And let's see. What's interesting is that you don't get the same thing here. So farming cuts off here, but it doesn't seem to cut off here. No, we'll have to do something to indicate that over there. Or we don't change it at all. We come up with a reason why farming didn't cut off. One of the other things I think we came up with, and we can determine whether that's true for the mapping purposes here, is that in the time where the sun disappeared or whether they had to return it back or there was a fair amount of darkness... Underground inhabitation, underground cities or dwellings were the way people went for a long time. So those would, of course, have to be places where water was easily accessible, where there were aquifers or otherwise means by which to purify and still provide or farm parts of the world for food or sustenance. I don't think mushrooms for 100 years would be a good idea. No, probably not. So I'm thinking that... One of the – oh, actually, let's – before we – we've done a bunch with Asia. We could go to Europe, Australia, or Africa next. So my initial thought was that we could we can go for one of the map designs that we don't have to ordinarily do. No room. Um, now, what's interesting is this is just geological knowledge. One of the primary reasons a lot of people think that the Sahara exists where it does is um, that the, it's, it's the rain shadow from the Himalayas. So you would have the winds coming up through the Himalayas and, and dropping all of their water there mm. overall, and then there's not as much water in the, in the air that passes over northern Africa. Now, this map... Now, ordinarily, the Himalayas are somewhat south of the Sahara, and the, and the wind comes up. This map is actually the reverse. Northern Africa has been taken out of the range of the mountains to stop. And that, to me, says that one of the most fertile parts of Africa is going to be this segment right here. Sure. And we need a good reason why, um, why this area is no longer... Now, this is what I would suggest... Um, I would suggest you said people from the Western Hemisphere are moving in on the west and the east. Mm-hmm. You don't actually on this map. The, um, the one of the westernmost parts is this part of um, Africa here. So I would say that since these are supposed to be cultural divides, this segment right here is one of the major um, colonized areas from people fleeing the, the one of the major refugee areas from the western hemisphere so that would be where you'd see where you'd most likely see remnants or cultural practices emblematic of the way the world was on the other side mm-hmm. right. um you want to indicate that i don't know because we need to also red, figure out blue. why they stopped <laughs> i you could be red white and blue <laughs> no, but i actually think tacky. it's more it'd be very tacky <laughs> uh i i also think that it's more I think that what came from the Western Hemisphere is going to be a hodgepodge of everything found in the Western Hemisphere, because honestly. it would have been whoever could make it. Exactly. However they, could make however they could make it. And, in fact, it's going to be a hodgepodge of that and whoever was there when they landed because yes. they weren't in a condition to take over. They it's were in a con- – highly, uh, highly syncretic culture there. Yes. Um, it's definitely going to – now, in, in, in Europe, what you're going to get is a mix of – 
cultures that a couple hundred years before the cataclysm or a couple, maybe a thousand were European and still maintained a lot of European traits and then moved back in. In Africa, you're going to get cultures that, uh, that were European now mixing with cultures that are African. Mm. Now that mix was already happening because we're Westernizing Africa, but it's still, you've got a lot of, um, you, you've got a lot of, um, I don't think we have to think too hard about what this culture is going to be, but I do think we we need to come up with uh, like it's not going to be the same culture as here is what I'm trying to say. It'll be it'll they'll both have heavy Western Hemisphere influences, but they'll be very different. What I could imagine, presuming that there were essentially a few major powers during the time of the Imperium, so you have Bala, which would have been situated here, and given its ruination, the remnants being desert. Or having fallen to desert, a la Ozymandias, wouldn't be that surprising. You have what would have been a centralized form here, probably largely sea-based mm-hmm. and farm trade exchanged, which means you'd have some kind of hub, say, right around... Yeah, the Mediterranean. All Everything here was always very yeah. based around the Mediterranean. So it was up what was here, but not what was here. Here was untapped yeah. because it was the Sahara. I imagine you'd probably have, right at this juncture, somewhere around there, a large trade city or a focal point, maybe recessed in. Which means this is going to be one of those great meeting points of cultures. Um, if, if it's sitting right on a border between cultures. Let's pick a color for big city. Okay. You go ahead and pick. Mm-hmm. And we're going to mark down where we think big cities go. Yellow for big city? Oh, for like gold and that kind of thing. That seems appropriate. Yes, indeed. So there will be one right here. I need, you know what? I, I put this, no, I put this down. brush too tiny. Let's do this Happy That's one. I would say, because the Mediterranean is also based around Africa, you'd also have gotten one right here. You might even call them the Twin Cities. I was about to ask, Stephen, in your estimation, would they perhaps have been two capitals or two major cities that could end up being one, be the same city, just under slightly different jurisdiction or government? Yeah, that is more than I would say you're almost certainly going to get a major one here, but let's be a little strange, and instead of putting it dead set on the river, we'll put it right here, a little north of the river's delta. I don't have a specific reason why, other than for some reason I think this this river is being fairly hard to deal with, mm. hence why we put it on a line between two cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stephen, where do you think is a good place for a city? So, oh, okay. Uh, do, 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 do. Let me call back and see if that Okay. 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 So, I put one here. Uh, here are the three cities we've put in so far one right here, um, one right here, and one right here. I would tell you that I would think. Yeah. Actually, the same city. Okay. It would be that they were different. They were in different jurisdictions. They were slightly different geographical locations, but they couldn't exactly be the same city. 
All right, same city. What we could do is put a ring around them to indicate cultural affiliation. Well, I wanted to, since they're already on the line between, I wanted to connect them without. Okay. Uh, where's another good place for a city, Stephen? I mean, obviously, as I said before, I think right at the end of that river. This uh, one? River. Oh, this one. It makes sense. You almost always will have cities like that. Um, but also one on the other side of the river. And actually, I would say that little fertile area right there is where people are going to group up. And then how about right where these three rivers meet um, yeah. here? Okay. I think we're, we're in pretty good shape. If I had to pick a capital for this one, we haven't defined why they're separate, but my guess is culturally, and there's no way I can draw this, the reason that, that this point was, part was colonized before the Sahara had become habitable, mm. and when it was um, – when people started making inroads, they did so more from these cities here. Mm. So this culture was – and it probably became habitable from this side because that was the way the winds were blowing. So by the time it was, um, it, it was pretty much. You'd probably have one right around here, then. Yeah, the first uh, um, people going westward. Yes, I think yellow will just indicate population, direction, or clusters. That could be a way to go. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And then you probably have one right here. Is that now from your point of view? Is that the remnant of Greenland? I think you've probably got some Greenland. There's probably some of the British Isles. A good portion of the British Isles would be gone because lowlands. Mm-hmm. But Greenland, once it thaws, would be. Yeah, and it would thaw the way we're talking about it, which means an overall sea level rise. Which means that what you're looking at right here um, is. Uh, you actually probably get this. This is probably swampland right here because this would be the, the, the Spanish Mesa. Mm. And then France was already much lower than Spain mm -hmm. uh, and already prone to a lot of wetlands, if I remember correctly. Well, there goes the Riviera. Yeah. Um, you've. Let's put an old one. So we'll change the color. Oopsie. That dot can stay disappeared. An, is it an old city, you mean? Yeah. So we'll... Actually, ruination should go like that. Oh, well. Do, 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 do. Right. There. Okay. So that would be an old Eastern Russian city. Something like that. Any other places we think civilization would have been abandoned or left behind? Well, I would like to see it is that because if we're to, if that's if black is the color of ruination, you've got this weird chunk out of Australia right here, mm. and I would like to just kind of do this nasty line kind of thing right here. This it's it's like the one area in this hemisphere where whatever the cataclysm touched down, it doesn't even have to be the same cataclysm, sure. but something took a bite out of Australia. Yeah, well, also just southern Australia, Sydney no longer happens. Mm -hmm. No. Let's have some angry lines from this pushing their way into the continent. So the continent is usable, but you need to stay away from those. In a way, you've turned part of Australia into the volcanic black sand regions in northern New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Hello. 
True. Volcano activity in that region would have wrecked that whole area. Well, we don't have an Indonesia, so maybe we've got these vents. And in fact, while this area is fairly easily navigable, you don't want to mess. Like, unless you know exactly what you're doing, you do not want to mess with your, working your way through the seas in this area. No. Which isolates Australia in a major way, except for... So, which means if there is a port... There are going to be two major ports um, that you would see. The two most likely places you would see a port. We have to slide the. Yes. Um, are if you if someone was really willing to go for it, and there was a real a purpose to it, you might see an outpost here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was pro- it's probably the port that the people who settled this part of Australia. Um, made with the so it's yeah it's basically uh, let's just go back on those two Uh, and then but the main ports that you're going to see is more likely to be um, right here I think this is probably mostly pre-remote I think so and for the purposes of a bit of the greater world Let's go with a nice deep ocean color. Say that one. Mm-hmm. This over he- here. When I said before that there was certainly a sea that was long and dark and full of stars to the point where you can't tell the difference between what is above and below, that would be the long night sea, which technically would lead to the Western Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. If anyone could figure out why it would be worth crossing. Or we could definitely envision people having crossed and there'd be tails, there'd be wreckage. There would probably be going over to, let's choose a darker yellow, a few smaller populations scattered over here. Certainly, yeah. Definitely like with the portions of Greenland and Africa some of those first landfalls and people who would have stayed despite the migration further inland or again I mean, because you've got all, you've got your first body of land here and then that question of do we stay or do we continue further because there's more water beyond that and having traversed the entirety or the remnants of the ocean or the long night sea some folks would certainly not want to go any further. You're putting more desert in. I'm putting in this, the remnants of the Sahara, just as our reason right. why. That works. Um, the uh, As far as this area here, given where it is, it obviously moved a lot further south. This area here is pretty easy because most likely what you've got is a river and a jungle. Um, <laughs> like the river purple. Uh, we could even be called the Purple River. <laughs> That's our new name for it. Uh, and obviously, well, not obviously, but chances are really good that... Um, you know what? Let's actually just take that up there. I know. Let, let's say that it's got twisted around, and this is the new exit of the what was the Nile. Nile. Um, and then what you can do is a deep green. 
Rubik's cubed <laughs> plates. And uh, we're just gonna hit, and this will this will at least come be some of it. This is impenetrable, probably. Um, I believe. Now, Stephen, are you in agreement that somewhere around here there should be either incredibly dense forest or wetlands? So, rain shadows being what they are, this is probably fairly dry, so it probably starts in around here. And let's actually have that work its way into the reason why here is... Of course, we've actually isolated these areas, but if these areas were always pretty isolated to begin with, it doesn't change much. So, in fact, you could have this area. Ooh, you could have this area largely be defined by all of these people who live at the edges of the forest slash swampland, and 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 pick at the edges of of nature. Hmm. So this is probably the only area that's really built up, and it's a lot of smaller areas through here. Um, and I think we're in pretty good shape right now. Um, I have no idea. Uh, your thoughts, Stephen? It looks like we're in pretty good shape. I'm not sure what the rest of you want to put in. Well, basically, we've got two areas that look a little undefined. Uh, we don't, I mean, and a, and a couple of areas we don't have any story for. But as far, um, we don't know why this is a separate area here. Although you could come up with some reasons. Uh, this is the the um, eastern side of Africa. Um, well, it's important to keep in mind that like, if there are areas that are undefined, part of their undefinedness might be just a, a, a general knowledge that they exist, but nothing more. True. So we have nothing really about Greenland up here other than that there's a city. And then we've got this area right here is the fertile area of Asia. But these, this area up here is largely undefined. Now, it could be fertile all the way up through there. And this could, you know, but if it is, this should be a major population center. Considering that we had posited before the barrier to the, this line over here being the beginning of permafrost, it seems feasible that... If the mountains project or the mountains project that far north, we should have yeah. at least a fair amount of maybe more temperate woodlands or greenlands there. Mm, we could put in some more. It's a, it, it'll be a lighter. Yeah, and uh, and this will be the scrubs at the the edge. So, what it is is basically miles and miles of bloody. Stepland. Um, it's it could be usable. It probably is, but not in major population centers. No, you'd have them down by the river. I think if we're going again on the theory of some ruination being present or believed to be, we put uh, slider move. Thank you. Maybe the old capital city of the Empyrean. Somewhere around there. Makes sense. There should also be um, a couple of ruins, like uh, basically 
China and India are the most likely in this region to have ruins. Now, we can assume they dot the, the wilderness, but we've already indicated that there's a lot of movement from India into Africa, which indicates that India is a pretty, still a pretty dense population center. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should probably pick a major city for it. And we should probably get an idea of what Greenland's like. So let's see. We slide over there. And probably, see right about yeah, there? Yeah, right there. That makes a lot of sense. If that's because the that case. you roots there and there. If that's the yeah, case, they, let's. They, they, the trade would primarily be along that route. And if, and if that's the case, let's remember that almost always cities have are on some kind of river, and this should be a pretty big one. It, you know what we're missing? What are we missing? Internal bodies of water beyond rivers. That is true. Well, that seems to be a very good spot for one right there. Um, oh, Greenland's deglaciated. It should have tons of finger lakes. Yeah, it should be the land. It should be the land of a thousand lakes. And I think part of what you'd have in say the Greenland remaining is a lot of the refugees from the British Isles and other lowland surrounding terrains. Probably some of the well, no, I imagine the folks say from the Netherlands would migrate inland. This should still be a lake. Yeah. Area, lakey area as well. I mean, if I remember correctly, this is one of the areas that has a bunch of lakes anyway. You could say the Great, the Great Rift Valley flooded. Hmm? The Great Rift Valley could have flooded. Oh, easily. Yeah, well, then there you go. I believe that's around where it is. Uh, it's hard to say on this map. <laughs> it Listen. is now. It is now. Um, and I would say you almost certainly... Have a couple of lakes in the Sahara. I don't know why they are where they are, but they are. Oh, and a lot of lakes actually form along rivers. That look good. Your opinions, great Lord and Creator, Savior Stephen. I would be a little surprised if there were no, there was no body of water in the subcontinent. Oh, you're almost certainly correct. Where would you put it? Matt, the offshoot. Well, is, that, is that a river running down? This one? Yeah, because it would be a, probably there would be a, probably a basin at one of the edges of the river. Like that? Yeah. Cool. And yeah, I think that's pretty good. Now, interestingly enough, these are like the big bodies of water. So this is an enormous inland. This is an inland sea. Yeah. This one right here, like these could be large lakes. You know, but we're, these are like on the level of Great Lakes. That's an inland sea. That's actually more yeah. along the line, the side of a regular lake. These are, it looks like Swiss cheese. Well, that's where all the Swiss Baby Swiss. Oh, Jarlsberg. Hmm. <laughs> uh, welcome to the free, <laughs> to the cheese preference podcast. So let's go back to ruination then. Yes, that's where we should. We that's where we should end. We should end on some ruination. What can we do to really screw this place up? What have people abandoned, and what is? I. Well, why don't we let you choose, Stephen, first? But the fact that Australia is gone, I still think it, Australia's not I gone. It's the idea that, like, if if 
oh, in other words, in other words, that city may still exist, but no one knows it because they think it's in ruins? Yeah. Nobody's going to be able to get out there very easy. So they're going to be like, well, you know, that city might exist, but only, there are only like, legends about it, that kind of thing. It is on the far side of the island. You know. Like, the, uh, like parts of Spain being flooded over. So, probably some right around here. And I imagine, if we're being honest with ourselves, there are probably some islands around, and they're rather uniform in shape because I'm tired, but... That's fine. We also, I think, right around here. And I think the story behind that one, considering this is one of the habitable areas, the big, is that that one was caused much later because someone brought the wrong thing back. Hmm. Like, maybe it wasn't caused by those who uh, carry fire. Maybe it was caused by those who dream too deep. Or maybe someone brought back a piece of the fire with them. And it was a city. Yeah, it was an early landfall inhabitant. It should have been one of the thriving ovens. But there seems to be a reason everyone migrates. It is interesting. You've got a rather small circle right here in the middle that is most of inhabited land. And it's what's really weird is that or, seems to be the part or, of the map that was changed the most, and yet it it definitely is. Well, it's also the part that's the furthest and most protected from whatever happened on the other side of the world. Because in a way, the ocean is the thread. Yeah. It, or the ocean is all between you and that. There are probably tales of things, well, let's name drop here. <laughs> Here be tigers. Ah, yeah. I should write that better, but I'm still That's great fine. at writing with the tablet on this pen. Oops. I like it. That's good. Here be tigers. There's here be tigers. Here be dragons. I forget the other one they would use. What we see, by the way, is is not that the most civilization is here. There's plenty here and here and a lot here. This is where there's the most motion, the most trade. And that makes sense. You've got a large... It, that's not an ocean. That's a sea. Yeah. It's bigger than the Mediterranean. It's more like the Gulf of Mexico. But uh, it's still... It's a, a little bit bigger than that. It's also calmer than most Much. of the other bodies of water would be. With the exception of that island in the middle. <laughs> it's probably a rough place. The worst sailing would be over here, and then for, oh, by traversing far, far out. It's it's why you've got it's you've got one. It's Australia's main uh, contact with the rest of the world is that is that little city right there. The others can't do anything. Do we think it, there's something active over here? Could easily be something active. And given the color, it definitely has something to do with those who carry fire within them. That would make sense. There are... I mean... If I had to choose a location for those who dream too deeply, there. That is largely undefined. We haven't talked about it culture-wise. Make that a rich purple, I would think. For the crown chakra. I would put it, we did those two big mountains right there sure. and said they were somewhat special. I would say it has something to do with those two. There. And there we go. Oh, Stephen, are you still, did my phone cut out? My phone cut out. Oh, did the battery go? The battery went. So I'll call Stephen back. We're, I, I would say we are done. I'm surprised, although I suppose I shouldn't be. It does 
fall in reasonably with what I had seen or envisioned in the past. I, the starting place, Samadhi, which is where the prologue takes place, I had always envisioned as surrounded by largely inaccessible mountains. And I suppose in my initial conceptualization of that, I thought of it as somewhere in the Himalayas, but it does make a fair amount of sense to reside somewhere over there as well. Those pretty much are the remnants of the Himalayas. Yeah. I mean, for, for whatever reason, we seem to have removed a lot of what separated China from Russia. Um, I don't know why or what would have happened to cause that, but there's a story there. I think that is less to do with what happened in the past and more in terms of the far back mythical past and more to do with the empire being situated there. As the preeminent power that anything relied that could, upon anything that could uh, repair anything that could lift something up into the sky to make the sun anew could conceivably have the power to move mountains, or even something that can that could conceive of actual space travel a second time, mm-hmm. or something equivalent to it. And they definitely did. Yeah. Also, those who dream too deep or whatever, you know, are capable of altering the world. So, provided that they don't have the reins necessary to keep them from changing too much. For all we know, those mountains could be much, much, much bigger. True. Than, than regular mountains. And it could be like everything was drawn up. I mean... Physically, it doesn't make a lot of sense for mountains to be drawn up, but we're not talking about physics here anymore. No, I think it would make a certain amount of sense that, given the deep reliance on these two, what has now largely fallen into ruin between the Empyrean and... I think the term, the word I used was Fyodorov or Fyodor, the oldest remnant of that, it would make sense that they would try to create a... Corridor is the wrong word for it but more or less a continuous plane of mm-hmm. existence to go both surreal and terrestrial. Maybe the reason the map doesn't list mountains is because no one, the, the map, no one responsible for this map has traveled a great deal there. Maybe there are lots of mountains, but you said a lot of people moved underground, so maybe it's less there well, that there's there aren't mountains oops. and more that there are huge tunnels let's running through Let's put it this them. way. So between the present timeline and the past timeline, there's a span of about five years. In that time, the younger of the two narrators would have managed to traverse from, say, this region over here, down to there. Okay, so, wow. That's... I mean, I imagine he probably would have done a circuit save, like, well, let's see. No, that, would have, that was the older conceptualization. The way he likely would have gone would have been a circuit like that. It would make sense. I mean... So, starting, say, from the point where the past timeline ends in the conflicts down in this region over here. Although I guess I had envisioned more landmass there, but this is suggestive at best. It depends on whether the Sinai Peninsula would remain, partly. <laughs> well, I mean, you can always alter the map for what you need. Uh, this uh, is, again, this is the first time I've tried playing with a map that wasn't just, alright, here's the map of the world, let's just put names down and say for mm. refer- the sake of reference... So I have a sense of distance and location where things are at. I do have that map somewhere, but it's this has a bit more sense to it. But yes, Connor would have traveled from Shiloh, which is now ruined. So that's it's envision. Oops, wrong color. Let's put it there for the now. And 
have traversed back toward Samadhi, which is where Adam was born, or where he was, the prologue takes place, met the folks who remained there and then traveled down along south trying to figure out where post or after the war he would find the other narrator, Adam, ultimately landing in what's left of Australia. And it makes sense, given the way Australia is depicted here, that if you wish to go somewhere where no one else would find you, yeah, that would be it. Of, the, of all the things, yeah, it is definitely separate. And I like how that happened without intending it based on the story. No, it, I had wondered for a long time what would cause people to not be there because it's a largely geologically it's a relatively static landmass mm-hmm. it's part of why it's mostly desert in the center and the crescent of well crescent's the wrong term for it but the arable land is largely on the edge and it's true most of the isles or landmasses on that side of the Pacific would have been swallowed up but the few largest of them would be the first landfall, which means I think somewhere, say around, hmm, I don't know what color would do that. Maybe it's ruined. Maybe it's not. Around here, there are some type of commemorative masses, whether it's ruins of the boats or other means used. Mm-hmm. But there would be. I think someplace far as that, or maybe even over here, would be considered sites of pilgrimage. It makes sense. Although, definitely away from that one. Yes. Um, yeah. I think we're not going to be able to get him back before the uh, recording is done. If My phone's just not coming up. So if we want to make contact with him again, I think we're going to have to... Let's even see. if it's just to... Say goodnight because it is. Yeah, he would ordinarily have parted off. Well, everybody, I am Remnesis of the Brothers Herman, aka David Herman of the Brothers Herman, and I did that in reverse because I'm tired. Um, and it's because you're Bizarro, Stephen. <laughs> he's Bizarro, me. I came first. No, maybe it's that he's Bizarro, Stephen. Well, that there you go. If you want to hear more from the Brothers Herman, uh, we have. The uh, podcast, uh, the Geekly Oddcast, and its spinoff, Otter Worlds, which are geek-based and uh, role-playing game-based, respectively. I'm still me. My name's still on the side for the time being, but again, I'm the author and occasional person who puts stuff there. So that's it for the show. If you enjoyed it, you can leave a review on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app, or you can show your support on Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash Jared, J-A-R-O-D, surf. And of course, if there's a story you want to share or something that's inspired you, you're welcome to tag us online at hashtag Tigers. Hope to see you all next time. You know, I just had a ridiculous idea for when you have the the puppets. Rather than just put the video, the audio on YouTube, do reanimated skits with the puppets, <laughs> reenactments of the podcast. Oh.
<laughs> I'm, I'm not going to the effort. I'm simply not. Okay, fine. I know a guy who runs a puppet troupe in New York City. Ah! <laughs> it would be so much effort. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, I think we'll cut it off with that. I think so. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>